excited that we have a very special musical guest and guest speaker today, Reverend Randy Granger. And this first piece that he's playing is one of the pieces featured in the upcoming Ken Burns special, The American Buffalo. So please welcome Reverend Randy Granger. Crane Dance Song was inspired by watching the mating rituals of sandhill cranes over in the Bosque del Apache. Mm -hmm. 
worship. brokenhearted, who woke today with the winds of despair whistling through your mind, come in. You who are brave but wounded, limping through life and hurting with every step, come in. You who are fearful, who live with shadows hovering over your shoulders, come in. This place is a sanctuary, and it is for you. You who are filled with happiness, whose abundance overflows, come in. You who walk through your world with grace and lightness, who awoke this morning with strength and hope, you who have everything to give, come in. This place is your calling, a riverbank to channel the sweet waters of your life. The place where you are called by the world's needs. Here we offer in love. Here we receive in gratitude. Here we make a circle from the great gifts of breath, attention, and purpose. Come in. Let us worship together. I invite you to join together your voices in singing. If you reach down and grab that gray hymnal from the seat in front of you and open to number 317, We Are Not Our Own. Please be seated. 
Good morning. I'm your worship leader, Kristen Satterley, and I'm so glad you have joined us today in this house of welcome. Whoever you are, however many times you have worshiped with us, and wherever you are, whether in the sanctuary or the family room or social hall, each one of you is important and loved and welcome. Take a moment just to sense this wondrous congregation. Notice the people near you or far away. It is good to be together. And it is also good to remember that every one of us, young and old, is a real human being with itches and wiggles and devices that may vibrate or make whooshing noises. Maybe you want to laugh, take notes, dance in your seat, do those things. Our bodies and our devices make noises, and that's fine. Families with small folks, there's a playground down here if you want a close-up view of the action and a soft rug to play on. There's also an activity table in the back on that side and a family room across the hall, so there are plenty of options. Wherever you want to be, we are happy you are with us today. Our guest preacher this morning is the Reverend Randy Granger, a spiritual teacher, meditation leader, drum circle facilitator, and ordained minister. Reverend Randy has been guest speaker, guest musician, and workshop leader at places of worship in Florida, Arizona, Kansas, Chicago, Texas, Santa Fe, and here in Albuquerque, including many times right here at First Unitarian, and I for one am really excited he's here today. Reverend Randy specializes in using Native American stories as an exploration to dive into great religious teachings, including many things, New Thought, Buddhism, Hindi, Gnostic Mystics, Sufism, Celtic and the teachings of Jesus, Muhammad, Ernest Holmes, Gandhi, Zen, African, Rumi, Pema Chodron, Meister Eckhart, Thomas Merton, Jack Kornfield, science and metaphysics, and many others. All these messages tie back to the Native American story he uses to illustrate the main theme. He is of Mayan and Apache ancestry, among other tribes. Welcome, Reverend Randy. And welcome to all on this beautiful morning. All right, you got here, you found a seat, you have been called to worship and welcomed thoroughly. Have you all the way arrived though? How about a breath together? And an invitation to just give your weight over to that seat and really be held in this hour. And as you breathe, remember to whom you belong, the earth that draws you toward her right now, causing your seat to cradle you. And remember where you are, 
here in a sanctuary between mountain and river, beneath the sky, breathing in the same air that nourishes the trees in the bosque and is cleaned by them. Here in a sanctuary with sunlight gently filtering in the windows and helping to bathe us and the room in light. Right here where you belong. Let's continue in stillness, in meditation. to live. 
lift up some prayers. On my mind today is yesterday's 60th anniversary of the March on Washington with Martin Luther King Jr.'s famous I Have a Dream speech. A time to celebrate what has been achieved and to acknowledge how much, how very much still remains to be changed. May we see ourselves each as important to that work and know our place in the march that continues through history. From my pastoral list, I lift up the name of Heather Scholl, who has died too young. Heather's son, Jacob Scholl, and her mother, Elaine Edmonds, are members here. We hold them in our love and pray for their comfort right now. And pray that light perpetual shine upon Heather. I invite you to think of the names in your hearts now, all the people and places for whom you have a prayer, and speak them aloud as the chime in so that we can hold them with you. All of these and all of the unspoken prayers we lift up to the great powers of healing, celebration and renewal, known by many names. And I offer you this prayer that I wrote many years ago. This is a prayer for a fresh and ordinary morning. A prayer to bring us to attention before the steadiness of the world, sunrises and sunsets, back and forth like the rocking of a grandmother's chair. Life coming and going, rising and falling, droning and beating like ancient music. And it's a prayer for you, remarkable for your ordinariness within this morning and for your thinking about your life and your yearning for meaning. You, dependent, spun into the interdependent web, confined to a body. You, independent, conscious, free, and so sometimes lonely, but unconfined in spirit. This is a prayer for you, for your well-being, for your peace, for your deep peace, and for everyone you love and for their well-being, and for the friends we haven't met yet, and for the strangers we will never meet, though we are closer to them than we think. All of us, in the arms of the earth, our mother, with her rocking and singing. Amen. Peace be with you.
Good morning. So absolutely honored to be back, to be here today, this morning. I've so enjoyed the summer interfaith series that you all have been exploring. I'd like to begin by inviting, by inviting the best of my ancestors and those yet to come to greet the best of your ancestors and those of your descendants yet to come so that they may hold us, so that they may bless us with their presence, with their wisdom, with their guidance. There's a secret and mysterious cave located on a trail up in the mountains. No one knows how long it's been there, but this cave has been there for a very long time. And in this cave is all the knowledge and all the wisdom ever known and ever gathered and ever discussed. And yet people walk by it and never even see it, oblivious. But there's an old woman that's been living in this cave for countless generations. She never grows any older, but no one quite knows how old she is or how long she's been there, but she has always been there. She stays exactly the same. This old woman spends her days weaving a beautiful pattern into a rug to get the best detail in this rug that she's been working on. She uses pine needles she's gathered up in the nearby forest. She's collected these pine needles and she's, to get the finest detail, she's nubbed it, nibbled them down and chewed them down into pine needles and therefore she only has nubs for teeth anymore. But she keeps on weaving and this rug never seems to be finished for some reason. There's a big black dog that sleeps next to her and just watches her weave through narrow slits in his eyes. He appears to just be napping. Occasionally, the old woman puts down the rug and she goes to a huge cauldron at, at the opening of the cave on this ancient fire. In this cauldron, she has all the seeds of all the grains of all the trees and all the flowers and the herbs in the world ever grown. And she has to stir this cauldron in order so the leaves don't scorch and they stay warm. When she gets up to go stir this cauldron, well, that dog gets up too. And he walks over and he just kind of takes the end of that rug and pretty soon he's just doing what dogs do and kind of throwing it back in his teeth, in his mouth. And she comes back and oh, there it is. It's all unraveled, the work she has just done at the end of that rug. But she pauses and she slowly looks at it and pretty soon she sees a new pattern an even more beautiful pattern that she wants to start weaving. So she sits down and patiently works on that design and restores the rug, restores that beautiful pattern. So time comes again. She has to go stir the cauldron and all the seeds. Guess who gets up? Yep, that big black dog. And he gets up and he goes and he starts just doing what dogs do and unravels it again. Thus, they've been going through this cycle for countless generations, forever, as long as anyone can remember the cycle of weaving, unraveling, and reweaving. Now, when the younger people hear this story, they say, well, kill that dog. He's the problem, you know. <laughs> but the elders say no, because we can't kill that dog, because then the rug would be finished, and it would be perfect. And if the rug were to be perfect, that would mean the end of the world as we know it. The reason is because perfect, perfect means an ending. So if we were perfect, we would, there would no longer be the cycle of weaving, unraveling, reweaving. 
we are also always weaving, un unraveling, and reweaving our own hurt collective human stories, even our own personal stories. The images of a rug are made up of countless individual fibers woven together into intricate patterns, just like all of us. Now, the Native American traditional and religious story post-contact, well, it's not generally a happy story or something to really celebrate. But when I was preparing this talk, I was reflecting on my own ancestors, and I, I know some of their stories that have been passed down. I can feel that generational trauma at some times, and it's heavy. But I was reflecting, what would they, whose dream I am, what would they like to be known about them? Then I decided I owe it to their sacrifices and their resilience, their perseverance to share their incredible traditions, their cosmology, their creation stories, their music, their art, their love, their beliefs and their spirituality and the spirit that they've passed on into me. Sometimes the only things our ancestors can leave us are their stories. So which story do I share with people? The trauma or the resilience? Well, I'm reminded of the story of the two wolves attributed to the Cherokee or the, 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 the Napi people. It goes like this. One day an old Cherokee man sits down with his grandson to teach him about life. The grandson was really angry. People had been calling him names and making fun of him at school that day. So he sits his grandson down. He says, uh, you know, there's a fight going on in, inside of me, grandson. It's a terrible fight between these two wolves that live inside of me. One is evil. He's full of rage and jealousy and arrogance and greed and regret and lies and laziness and self-pity. But the other wolf, he says, is good. He's filled with love and joy and peace, generosity, truth and courage, humility and faith. The same fight is going on in the hearts of everyone. And he touches the grandson's chest, including you, grandson. Well, the grandson thinks about it for a little while. And he says, well, which wolf wins? The grandfather simply replies, the one you feed. You know that there are over 4,200 different religions in the world today, according to an Atlantic Monthly magazine that also pointed out approximately 64 million Americans, that's one in five, identify as spiritual but not religious, otherwise known as SBNR. <laughs> These people, they reject the organized religion but maintain a belief in something greater, something larger than themselves, that something can be uh, range from you, the, calling it the universe, to creator, to art, to music, to poetry, to nature. And yes, there is often yoga involved, <laughs> according to the article. <laughs> Native Americans are not a monolithic culture, as you all know, or people. As of March, there were 474 Indian tribes legally recognized by the Bureau of Indian Affairs. Of these, 228, that's a big number, are located in Alaska. There are also many unrecognized tribes. In Las Cruces, where I make my home, there's a tribe now seeking federal recognition and federal status. Between suppression, boarding schools, and the idea of kill the Indian, save the man policies of the last century, and outright genocide, and 90% population decimation, mostly due to diseases for which this population had no natural immunity against. It is remarkable and wonderful that Native American traditions thrive 
today. I was able to go to the Indian Pueblo Cultural Center yesterday to watch the uh, Zuni dancers, and I was so reminded of how alive and vibrant is that way of life. I'm so grateful. Between the 1800s and 1954, Native American religion was actually against the law in the United States. Dances and ceremonies, traditional practices and beliefs were outlawed. And before that, of course, the Spanish in this area brutally suppressed it. Not until 1954 were Native Americans allowed to practice their beliefs by an act of Congress. In 1978, Congress passed the American Indian Religious Freedom Act. Isn't that interesting? I recall the story of Ishi of Two Worlds. That's I-S-H-I, Ishi. Well, he was the last remaining Yana Indian of California. And he was, he was befriended by some anthropologists, Theodora and Alfred Krober. Ishi told him stories of uh, the way of life of his people, never more to be seen on this earth. And among the teachings was a song so exquisite that the knowledge and nature could only be revealed to certain people. And there was one sacred song that he had sworn to never teach to anyone outside of the tribe. It was a song sung to the dying. It was a song used to sing his people back to their families, to their ancestors, to their ancestral lands after death. No one else was allowed to know this song or know how to get there. Yet Ishi was alone at the end of his life, the last member of the Yana tribe. So he had to finally teach this last song, this secret to the Krobers so they could sing them back to his people. Father Richard Rohr, he tells a story that in 1969, when he was a young deacon up at Acoma Pueblo, one of his jobs was to take the census. And because it was a summer and it was really hot, he would start early in the morning, like we all can relate, driving his little orange truck to each residence. And invariably at sunrise, he would see a mother outside of the door of her home with her children standing beside her. Well, she and the children, they would had their hands uplifted and they would raise them and do that over their head as if to scoop up the day. They scooped up the new day and poured it over their heads and bodies as if in a blessing. And he would sit in his truck until they were finished thinking how silly it was for us Franciscans to think that we brought religion to New Mexico 400 years ago. <laughs> if you're comfortable, Join me in this. It's a beautiful. You simply put your arms out in front of you and you scoop up the day and you pour it over you. Feel that. Oh. Every morning, this is what I do when I go out in my backyard. I just scoop up the day and I pour it over myself. For me, it's a way of acknowledging that something is looking out for me. I don't know what it is. I don't need to name it. I just say, Thank you, whatever, you know, keep the mosquitoes away. <laughs> it would take an entire college course to examine just the deep complexities of one Native American tribe, much less an entire country of North America continent. Even a place like Chaco Canyon, which is believed to be a place where people came to share knowledge and exchange knowledge and wisdom. It's aligned to the constellations, the solstice, equinox points. So while it's not possible to summarize them all, it is possible to find commonalities amongst Native Americans' religions of North America. 
by breaking them down into three P's, which is place, protocol, and power. Place, a philosophy that underlies so many Native American healing, is this idea. In order to live healthfully, people must learn to live in harmony with the world around them. Locality is key to Native American religion. Each of us is part of our own local systems of the natural world around us, whether we know it or not. The identification of place, a particular spiritual power points to yet another aspect of Indian religion traditions that there are places that have long been identified with power like the Black Hills of South Dakota amongst the Sioux Nation, for instance, Blue Lake of the Taos Pueblo, Mount Graham of the San Carlos Apache, the mountains that mark any Pueblo territory. Even consider the sacred, uh, six sacred mountains of the Diné, otherwise known as Navajo, one of which is Mount Taylor, Sozit, which is just west of us here. These are places of power. Now, power is the idea that a sacred, there's a sacred power, there's an energy, there's a source, there's a chi, prana, whatever you want to call it, that runs through a place. This, the idea that um, Native Americans claim that a place is, sa is sacred, thus it's sacred to them, is n it's kind of backwards. They recognize it as being sacred by simply being there, feeling that energy, feeling that sacredness, seeing how the other animal can treat that place too. So when you find a place that is sacred like that, you learn to revere it and try to protect it and hold it sacred. In his book, God is Red by Vine Deloria, he identified other char characteristics of Native American religion called spatiality. What that basically means is that ceremonial life, um, um, the way that you build your, your, your hut, your kiva, or your home, or the spatial layout for any ceremony, or the structure of an Osage village, structured around north-south sky earth division, the subterranean location of a kiva, even the way the direction that the kiva ladder, the entrance is, is pointed, even the design of a sweat lodge, or the direction one turns the pipe in a ceremony, they all have tribally specific cosmic representational value that reflects the relationship of a particular people with the world around them. That's how Vine Deloria described it in his book, but basically what it's saying is that the way you behave in a certain space, in a certain place, gives it power and you follow the instructions that, that, that you're given from that place. Protocol is the idea that we are all part of nature, all part of nature, not a transcendent species with no responsibilities to the natural world. And because of that understanding between the places, the human world and the sacred powers that unite us, there's a proper way to behave and conduct oneself, proper times to do certain things, proper ways to have relationships with others, practices to adhere to, what to do at certain ceremonies, when to plant crops, when to hunt, when to harvest, when to dance, when to do ceremony. The Lakota may call it walking the red road. The Diné may call it walking in beauty, which I know many of you know about. Some Pueblo people have called it the center place. But perhaps the most distinctive aspect of American Indian religious traditions is the extent to which they are community-based and have almost no meaning outside of that specific community. In his book, God is Red, Vine Deloria, he describes this as communitarian. You guys ever heard that word? <laughs> communitarian, I, I think that's really cool. Uh, 
it, this is the foundation of so much of American Indian religious experience. The idea that ceremonies are engaged in not primarily for your personal benefit, but for the benefit of the entire community or nation. The idea of kinship. I always, I always begin my ceremonies by saying all my relations. And what that, um, what that word, it's, it's, it's from, a, from the Lakota language, mitakuye oyasin. And it means all my relations. And it reflects a worldview of interconnectedness. It's meant as recognition of the principles of harmony, of unity, and equality with all beings. A way of saying that you recognize your place in the universe and the place of others in the realm of all beings, seen and unseen. One way that I do this and one way that you can cultivate this idea is to do what I call a nature sit. What that is is once a week find a place maybe uh, where you can sit for 10 or 15 minutes Maybe in your backyard or maybe your favorite trail or park or maybe the Rio Grande Nature Center or the Elena Gallegos Trail or wherever you can find and simply be and observe. Let yourself melt into your surroundings and observe. The idea is to sit with the rocks and the dirt, the plants, the winged ones, the creepy crawly ones, the slithering ones, the, the wind, the sounds and the smells, the temperature. Every week notice the changes in your environment, the changes in you, the changes in your relationship between you and all you observe. The more aware you are of your relationship and connection to your place, the more reverence you will develop for it. And isn't that the basis of most religions and spirituality? reverence. Recently I was, I was on a hike in the desert uh, down, down near the Oregon Mountains in Las Cruces and only at one time of the year does the sun come and rise between what we call the Oregon Needles or otherwise known as the Rabbit Ears. These two, the highest two peaks up there and I looked and I saw that the, the sun was doop, just stuck right in there and I thought wow that's like Stonehenge or um, what is that thing they call in Ma Ma Manhattan when the, the sun rises between the, I forgot what it's called, Manhattan Hinge or something. <laughs> but for me, that was so sacred and so special that I just stopped and paused and I said, thank you. You know, how privileged am I that I can be looking at this same thing that countless generations have also seen. So that's the idea of reverence for where you are. I mean, you have the gorgeous Sandia Mountains, the, the Rio Grande, the Bosque, so much to really look at and ob ob observe the, the way that the light changes throughout the season, the way the air changes, and even the way that the leaves change. Reverence for ancestors is, is really a way of showing honor and respect, not only to the members of one's family, but to the tribe and the, com the community as a whole. Every morning, I thank my entire lineage. Now, these aren't people that I have ever known. These are people going generations and generations back. And I thank them. And I say, thank you for dreaming me into existence. I'd like to think that I am the dreaming of my ancestors and the memories of generations yet to come. By honoring ancestors and praying for those yet to come, we weave together generations through our concern, through our care. Seeing a recent photo of a rainbow appearing over the burned out cars in Maui recently. It reminded me of this 
story of the hummingbird and the jaguar. According to an old Native American uh, legend, one day there was a big fire in the forest and all the animals fled in terror in all directions because it was a very violent and fast-moving fire. And the jaguar sees a hummingbird pass over his head, but he's going in the opposite direction and the hummingbird is flying towards the fire. Whatever happened, he wouldn't stop. And m moments later, the jaguar sees him, sees the hummingbird fly over his head going the other direction. This time, next time it's the same direction, next time it's a different direction. And he just, finally he says, jaguar, what are you doing? I mean, sorry, hummingbird, what are you doing? Hummingbird says, I'm going to the lake. I have to hurry. I drink water with my beak and I throw it onto the fire to extinguish it. The jaguar goes, ha, <laughs> yeah, right, are you crazy? You can't do that. What, what, you, there's no, you could not possibly put out that forest fire with your beak. Leave like the rest of us. Hummingbird just shakes his beak and says, no, I can't because the forest is my home. It feeds me. It shelters me and my family. And I'm very grateful for that. And if I help the forest grow by pollinating its flowers, I am part of it. I am part of her and the forest is part of me. I know I can't put out the fire, but I must still do my part. Well, at that moment, the forest spirits, they were listening to the hummingbird. And they were so moved by the hummingbird and its devotion to the forest that they summoned up a great thunderhead and clouds and miraculously they sent a torrential downpour which put an end to the great fire so the inhabitants could return. So when the Native American grandmothers tell this story to their grandchildren, they ask them, do you want to attract miracles into your life? Of course, they say, yes, yes, yes. Well, they say, then you have to do your part. You've probably heard of the idea of the seventh generation. It's the idea that uh, a lot of tribes had in North America that every deliberation, every decision that a tribe made was made with the seventh generation to come in mind so that they were doing everything, not just for them or their children or the grandchildren, but for the seventh generation out, thereby ensuring the protection and the continuation of their way of life. It teaches us how to be good ancestors, really. Do you think of yourself as an ancestor, as an elder? You know, I'm, I've realized recently I'm the last man, the last male in my family, my immediate family, with my, my elder brothers and my father having passed. And that's an enormous responsibility. So I have reached out specifically to nieces, to nephews that I don't really know well, but I said, I'd, I want to say hello. I want to share some of this with you if you'll listen. And I always begin by telling them the hummingbird story because well, we all relate to hummingbirds, you know. <laughs> but really, only together can we reweave the world's web, one action, one thread, and one connection at a time as communitarians. Aho, and thank you. Thank you so much, Reverend Randy, for those beautiful and thought-provoking words and music. And I am particularly taken today with the idea of being a good ancestor. And um, I think maybe we have one little way we can, we can invite you all to be good ancestors today. Because our Change for the Future partner 
this quarter is Libros for Kids, modeled off Dolly Parton's Imagination Library. And they mail a full library of 60 books, including 12 bilingual titles, to kids in Bernalillo and Valencia counties over the years, over the years from birth to age five. You can earmark your donation for Libros for Kids by using the envelope on the back of the chair, writing CFF on the envelope. Offerings that are not change and not directed in this way go to support the work of the church. Regardless of where you direct your offering, your generosity sustains this beloved community and its compassionate values. We will now gratefully receive the offering.
of the congregation, here we go. I'm on the green mic, Vance. On behalf of the congregation and on behalf of Libros for Kids, for all of your generosity, may these gifts be for blessing in this world and help to make us good ancestors. Thank you, ushers. All right, I, there's lots of invitations to share, but I wanna start by inviting Lara Magnuson, our Director of Congregational Life, to come on up, because she's got a doozy. <laughs> oh, that build up, I love it. Um, so I know that you all love this church as much as I do, and all the programs and the good that we do in the world. As the Director of Congregational Life, I wanna just run some numbers by you all. So we currently have, um, let's see, about 750 official members of the church, uh, about 1,200 people that participate in the church. We have three full-time staff members. We have 10 part-time staff members. And when Reverend Bob is not on sabbatical, we have two full-time ministers. So that works out to about 100 people per staff member. So how do we do all of this? <laughs> Isn't that an important question? Volunteers. <laughs> That's how we do all this, our volunteers. We literally, literally could not do all the wonderful things we do at this church without our volunteers. So. How many people who are in the service right now volunteer right now at the church? Go ahead and stand up. Look at how many people. Go ahead and stand up. Thank you. Stay standing because my personal volunteers right here are going to bring you each a flower in appreciation. So. You start over there, Pat, and start over here to say thank you for your volunteer time. Don't forget, back in the back, we have Vance and Viv, too, Shane, Puck. Uh, they're in our AV booth back there. And do you know that until two days ago, our new uh, tech arts director wasn't sure he was going to have volunteers in the AV booth today? Um, so no sound, no video for Zoom. Um, and so if you've been thinking that maybe that might be somewhere you could help out, uh, today's the day. <laughs> you can sign up with them today. You can go back and talk to Thomas. He's in the orange shirt back there. Um, or there's also some members of the AV squad around who are wearing uh, headphones. They should be easy to find. <laughs> so, um, you know, all morning we're having a volunteer fair today out on the patio, and all of the different groups that need volunteers are out there and are ready to speak to you and tell you how you can serve the church and help out. Um, I don't have enough flowers for everybody that's here today, but if you volunteer for a new thing today, you can take home one of our beautiful mural mugs. So it is a mug that has our mural on it. We usually save them just to give to our visitors when they're here for the first day. But today, anybody that goes and signs up at a volunteer table gets to take a mug home. So please do that. And if you see somebody with a volunteer mug or you see somebody with a flower, please say thank you. Please say thank you. We need to thank these people because we really, literally, literally can't do it without you. Thank you.
Yes, thank you so much. And I'm so excited about the volunteer fair. And if you already volunteer a ton, or if you've put in many years of volunteering and you're retired now, I hope you'll thank the folks behind those tables who are out there recruiting to grow our ranks um, and let them know that, that they're carrying the torch forward and that that's appreciated. All right, there's a couple of announcements um, also in your printed order of service or like invitations about things that are happening. I wanna call your attention to the All Church Barbecue, which is also today. So after you visit that volunteer fair, I hope you'll stay a while longer for, and it's, this is on the playground, which is that way behind the building. Um, we've got food, music, fun, burgers, hot dogs, veggie options. There's a jumper for the kids you know, like a bouncy house. Uh, and there's karaoke for anybody who's brave enough to get on that mic. So we hope that you'll come and, and make a new friend while you're at it. I wanna also draw your attention in that order of service to the parking announcement. If you park at Comanche Business Association parking lot, that's really important for you to look at. Be sure you get the code to the gate from the office or from me so that you can get your car later, okay? <laughs> All right. I invite everyone to rise in body or spirit, and let's just greet each other with a gesture of peace. We like to do it with one hand over our hearts and extend the other one towards your fellow UUs and guests this morning. Peace to all. hymnal and open to number 1066. It was so wonderful to hear you all singing earlier and I noticed that a lot of my choir folks didn't stand up when you were asked if you volunteered and you are all volunteers you chalice choir folks and soul singers. But let's sing Oh Brother Son. These words come from St. Francis of Assisi and you'll recognize them. I think some of them will sound familiar to you.
As you go out, go in peace, friends, and may love bless you and keep you until we are gathered together again. Blessed be.